welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argandizo and Patrick Daly. And today we're kind of building off of last episode. We are talking about ChatGPT. We're going to mess around with the tool on the podcast today, talk about some of the concerns, um, basically just cover AI in general a little bit and how it dovetails into translation industry and, and the broader industries as well. Uh, Patrick, why don't you get us rolling? Yeah, um, the idea for this episode came up um, because of all the rage with generative AI right now. Um, and I found it very interesting as having been in the translation industry for a number of years, um, really trying to like draw parallels between machine translation and generative AI, how they're the same, how they're different. Um, so to tackle that question, I asked ChatGPT, what's the difference between machine translation and generative AI? I got a very long response uh, that I won't read through all the way, um, but it's pretty interesting that it's basically based on the same technology of large language models, um, but kind of where you get into the differences are in the purpose, kind of input-output, how the engine is trained, um, and obviously machine translation is specific to a language pair when you're building it, uh, whereas kind of generative AI in theory can work in any language. Um, so it's very interesting uh, to see like how how much momentum is behind generative AI right now and how long machine translation is, has existed. Um, I did a little bit of digging and like the first machine translation uh, like testing which was news to me, was done in the 1950s. Like basically as soon as computers came out, there were machine translation tests going on. It's obviously changed a ton since then, but um, I know the kind of thing we hear in the translation industry a lot is, oh, machine translation is coming for your job. Um, and that just simply hasn't happened yet. Um, so interesting, to Peter, to get your take on kind of where you see the future going with, with the rollout of this new technology. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think last week um, and in subsequent or previous weeks, you know, we've we've talked about MT as being sort of a gateway drug to translation, right? In other words, that MT opens up the avenue for people to sort of dip their toe in the water, get some translation, maybe get some small wins. Say, oh, wow, this is pretty interesting. And it just opens the doors for other forms of uh, translation, whether it's they're using human translation for something that's of higher importance, or they're using uh, MT to get a process started. I think AI is going to be very similar, and you know some of the stuff that I'm interested in is building on the conversation we had with Brian Montpetit and Angelo Pasalacqua last week. Is about something like the set of tools that they created, where they can do sort of some. Uh, they've automated some pre-processing things, some of the mundane tasks that a project manager does to get a translation project ready. So. Um, you know, I think it's going to be more of the same. I, I, I do think that um, maybe what ChatGPT has done that MT could not is that um, they've humanized it because it's kind of like I was talking. If I'm talking to you, Patrick, Patrick, can you help me with this project? I want to know this, this. and I can speak in natural language. I can just type it on the screen and wow, voila, I get a result where some of these MT engines unless you have other tools that interface with it, it can be very difficult to use unless of course you're just using Google translate and you're cutting and pasting content. And well, that's of limited use in a corporate setting, you know, because of all the issues we've talked about in the past, privacy, 
preserving the format, uh, the the sheer volume. I mean, if you have a five hundred page manual, what are you cut and paste it into Google? And you know, you have to so you'd have to know where to upload that file and how to handle it or how to properly do an API request and use you know kind of the private model. That's still not easy today. Where ChatGPT has made this pretty darn sexy, right? Yeah, um, it's interesting too. One of the prompts uh, as we were preparing for the show that I I dropped in was, "What are the limits of machine translation?" Um, and it, I'll I'll give you the highlights on this one because it did give me a lot of information. But uh, gave me five bullet points, which were accuracy, language complexity, ambiguity, lack of cultural understanding, and then rare or uncommon languages. Which I know we talk about MT a lot, and we've covered most, if not all, of those. Um, throughout many of our episodes, but it was interesting to see. I know I noticed chat GPT has like a pattern of like, gives you a bulleted list at the end. Like it's important to remember this and it's kind of got a little formula going. So I really found this part interesting. Um, the end cap of that prompt response was it's important to remember that while machine translation can be a useful tool, it's not perfect. It's always a good idea to double check translations with human experts when accuracy is critical. And to me, that's like, the perfect sum up of like how machine translation works and what its limitations are. So like that was just really powerful to have it in like two sentences right there. And just from a simple question of what are the limitations of machine translation? Yeah. I mean, that's really interesting, Patrick. I mean, would you say that you can swap out the word MT with AI as well and say same thing, right? Hey, it's Mm -hmm. treat the results with respect and Make sure you make sure you have the right amount of oversight before you just lob it over the fence and right. I mean, it's it's. I'm using the free version. It's got that at the bottom where it says, you know, ChatGPT may produce inaccurate information about people, places, or facts. So basically, saying this could be right, but you know, check check your stuff, double check everything, and don't just blindly believe and paste and post everything you see on there. Well, and and kind of brings us up to the next part of the conversation. Patrick is, you know, I don't know. How do you see this? uh, How do you see this impacting work? You know, in terms of if you're an employer and you have people that are creating content, you know, how do you police that? How do you, because, you know, you could take someone who's, uh, who knows how to use ChatGPT pretty well, um, but maybe doesn't have the respect for the tool or double check or just, you know, sort of does a cut and paste and, ah, Look at I just wrote a great press release. Phenomenal. Here you go. Um, so how does a company police that? You know, how does how does how do companies who buy from subcontractors police that? I think in our prep, Patrick and I were talking this morning. You know, one of our big clients, uh, and I, I won't name them, but definitely a, a Fortune 100 company, um, big manufacturer, said, "Hey, uh, as we've communicated in previous." Uh, uh, previous requirements for for working with us, we we hold our privacy and our confidentiality of our material our material very um, very seriously. Um, don't use ChatGPT or AI enabled uh, workflows for anything that's sensitive or for any of our materials. We don't want it. We don't want it in the public domain. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I think it's interesting too. You might see a shift in maybe getting more NDAs. Um, I know those are already in place with a lot of clients and a lot of industries, um, just like as a service provider, generally you have to sign an NDA with your client. Um, but I think you're going to see specific call-outs to generative AI as opposed to it kind of being more of a, a blanket statement. I think you'll see more like, hey, don't use chat GPT. 
Um, I mean, we've talked about it before with machine translation as well of, um, you know, really think through where your information's going when you do copy and paste into Google Translate. Um, do you want to include company names, people names, anything that's kind of private or not publicly known information you probably want to swap out? Um, I think there's creative ways around it. Um, just kind of in the, like the way that you described your client, you said it's a very large manufacturer, Fortune 100. You can kind of tiptoe around it and still, you can probably get ChatGPT to understand who it is without saying it. Um, and you can kind of create, um, you can kind of get there in a roundabout way where you're still not like directly violating any privacy of like company name, this, this, this. Um, I think you mentioned to content creation. I think that's a huge application we're seeing of generative AI. Um, but like you said, I think it's important to not just pop and drop, cut and paste anything out of there. I think you can use it for research, for information, for connecting two points that seemingly don't have it. Uh, but I would strongly recommend against just cutting and pasting full sentences or even paragraphs out of there to and claiming it as your own. Yeah, see, I think I think that brings up a great point, and and definitely is you know you, you know um, user beware in terms of if you if you are creating content and you're uh, generating stuff with ChatGPT, I think you you know you have to be very very careful in how you use it. And something to note is in playing with the tool the last few weeks, is you can continually like ask it to go deeper. You can modify it. So in other words, it's almost like you're writing blocks. And I think the more modifications you make, obviously, the further away you would be from, you know, something that's could be a direct plagiarization. Because remember, it's just indexing and finding things on the Internet and repurposing them. I mean, that's kind of a big concern that I would have is that, you know, the idea of plagiarism. So, yeah, that's the idea of privacy. You put content up there that could be sensitive. And now that's potentially living in another database that could be a public facing database, but then also the results, you know, if I'm saying, Hey, I need a paragraph about this bullet point and this bullet point related to this, and it finds something on the internet and, and, and perhaps plagiarizes it directly or just uses it. Um, and you wouldn't know that. So I, I think that that's kind of interesting. I, I, in fact, I asked it, uh, I threw a prompt in there, Patrick, and I threw about as, like well, what are the what are the risks of using um, what are the risks of using uh, ChatGPT? And it actually, I th- I think very succinctly, um, <laughs> which I thought is like, oh, okay, it's a, a little bit of uh, I don't know if self deprecation is the right word, <laughs> uh, but it very succinctly uh, generated some things to think about, and I, I won't read it um, verbatim, but, um, you know, talked about retention of personal information, the informed consent and transparency, um, ethical and bias concerns, which I'll get back to in one second, misuse of the generated content, third-party access. So I've been reading a lot, actually our director of employee wellness has been talking, um, to our management team a lot about, um, how a lot of models are being built using AI, for employment screening. And I think that that's very interesting because, you know, this is what ChatGPT says is because we're using large volumes of content that's already on the internet. Well, that volume of content or that knowledge could inherently carry 
bias. And if it does, then your model will carry bias. So it's just kind of interesting. Um, I think there's a lot of ethical concerns and, you know, uh, that it very much reminds me of the advent of MT and, uh, you know, especially those plagiarism concerns and reuse and recycling. And um, anyway, um, what else, Patrick? What do you think? I know you, the, the firm you work with did some training on the use of the tool. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit about that. Well, how did, how did that go? What did, what did you sort of cover in that that type of training? Yeah, it was interesting to me, um, again, as having been around machine translation uh, for as long as I have, it was very similar to that of like, you know, like we were just talking about, use with care, don't don't pick up large blocks of content and claim them as your own. Like there's a use case for it and it's to help us be smarter, not to do our job for us. Um, so, you know, we we use it for stuff like competitor research with some clients and things like, like who Ooh, are the competitors? Not even great necessarily. Use. Yeah. That's a great use of, of the tool. So like, so, uh, so like you'd say, Hey, you give me what you know about this company or specific thing, right? The, the mean, energy goes say, into asking the question, right, Patrick? Yeah. I think that's where you really can get some really cool responses is how you write your prompts. So, um, I didn't write one, but I will the next time that you're talking and say who are Argo Translations competitors, and I'll give you the the response that it gives you. So not even, you know, what do they do? How big are they? Information like that, just who are they? Because a lot of times clients struggle to define their own competitors. And if they're trying to corner a certain sector of the market, they need to know who the competition is, what their competition's messaging is, how they stand apart from those competitors. So it's just super cool to do like you can do that. You could Google that and you might get, you won't get necessarily great responses. You might find things like that, but like, like you said, the way you prompt and ask the question can yield some pretty cool results. Well, I think what's interesting about it, Patrick is um, again, in our pre-show discussion is the way that it summarizes it. You're right, right? Like you could put that into Google and a question or a prime looking for this. But what it'll do is it'll just give you links to those resources, whether it's the competitors' websites or where I what I find incredibly interesting with ChatGPT is it actually wraps some content around it, right? It's like it's like you asked someone, an expert or something, and and I'm not saying that it's always true or it's always an expert or whatever the case is, but it gives you an answer in context, right? It 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 wraps some language around it again, like you're having a discussion with just another person in the room. And I think that's the power. I, I I've been I've been calling it Google search on steroids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I did just put in the search, um, and again, I think ChatGPT does a good job of saying if you're using the free version, hey, my database hasn't been updated since September of 2021, so this is possibly two to three years old at this point. Um, but I got five. I asked for five competitors of Argo Translation, um, and I got the three largest language service providers in the world, followed by two um, kind of smaller um, firms. I don't know if you want me to name drop them, but they were all sure. Why not? Expecting. Yeah. So the number one was Transperfect, two was Lionbridge, three was SDL, four was Language Line, and five was We Localize. Huh. Um, which interesting for you and me, we're very very familiar with all of those companies and what they do. But if you're an outside um, 
know, maybe a translation buyer and you want to know who your the competitors of your provider are, are that could be pretty interesting to, yeah. to prompt them with that. Like, Oh, I was looking around and I saw you compete with so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. How are you different than them? So I have two questions for you, Patrick. Um, you know, that is, that is very interesting use. You had mentioned um, something that uh, you were experimenting with is that the tool is very good at connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. So how are you building those prompts? I'm just curious, like when you're saying I'm interested in this and how it relates to this or how, how are you doing that? Yeah, you can. Um, I think one of the more useful versions of that is, um, you know, draw draw a connection between A event and B company or whatever it is. Uh, but basically say like, how did the, how are these two things related? And it will come up with something interesting. So it's amazing. Yeah. Um, like, I don't know. I can't think of a good example off the top of my head, but be like connect um, the translation industry to Hollywood. And I might be able to come up with something interesting there. Yeah. Or you might say, I don't know. I'm just thinking like as a salesperson too, I'm thinking, um, you know, um, um, show me um, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee alumni uh, that work at XYZ Corporation. Yeah, let's see if there's anybody I know who works over there. I don't, I don't know if that prompt would work, but that kind of thing where you're trying to draw like a relationship between a school and an organization, or you're trying to draw a relationship between, hey, show me... Um, you know, show me CEOs that attended Ivy League schools or something. I, I, I don't just like weird things like that where it's mm-hmm. two different data points. I'd be interesting to to try that. Yeah, I just actually typed in connect tra- the translation industry to Hollywood. Um, and as usual, I got my five bullet points of subtitling and dubbing, international distribution, localization of scripts, accessibility, and cultural sensitivity. See, that's very cool. I mean, th- to me, like the power in that is... Again, not taking what the what it does verbatim, but here's me trying to write a blog post about Hollywood and translation. Well, now I got five topics. It mm-hmm. just it's like I didn't have to waste any mental energy. It gave me five topics. I know that now I now have five subheaders essentially for my blog post, and I just need to write the content. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, even that that's a, a huge um, time saver. Yeah, I think it's. Um... You know, we've talked about it before, it kind of gets the ball rolling, gets those ideas mm-hmm. going around in your head. Um, and again, you wouldn't use any of like, I went through those five bullet points and it's got a paragraph on each of them, but like, sure, you, you wouldn't, wouldn't cut and you wouldn't it. pop and drop that, but you could, like you said, you've got the ideas and now you can develop the content based yeah. on those ideas. Absolutely. That, that's really quite cool. Um, you had mentioned something, Patrick, as well about QA. How would you envision this? So either checking my writing or checking translation or checking how how are how would you envision uh, QA uh, that function uh, being sort of AI boosted? Yeah, um, I'm trying to find my prompt because I've been going through a bunch of them this morning, <laughs> I'm testing it out. Uh, so the prompt I wrote actually was, "How can generative AI help a translation project manager?" Um, I did get the five bullet points, but the kind of the one that jumped out at me, like you said, was quality control. Um, and that's, um, I'll actually read the full full prompt it gave here. It says, generative AI can be used to perform quality control checks on translations. It can help identify potential errors, inconsistencies, or mistranslations, allowing project managers to focus their efforts on reviewing and improving problematic areas. So I think 
there are you know term-based checks and quality checks that you can run inside of a translation management system today i think they're going to look very different in a few years once you put some generative ai juice behind it i think you can say you know look for inconsistencies like right now you can drop a block of text in and say tell me if this is inconsistent at all and it will highlight any areas that it might be so kind of getting that logic behind a term base or a translation management system or even like cleaning up a translation memory. I think the longer a translation memory lives on and maybe the different, the longer you have different translators working in there, things might change over time. If you could say, Hey, make sure this translation memory is consistent and it can highlight everything you need to address without having to have someone go line by line and look at it saves them a ton of time. Yeah, see, that seems super interesting. I mean, I think that's, I'm, you know, and we'll have, obviously have to do a follow-up show at some point, Patrick, but that's what I'm really interested in is what suite of tools, um, like I'm just thinking even like Grammarly, there was probably some AI already in Grammarly, right? Um, Which is a QA tool I like to use just for, you know, emails and content and just making sure. So um, to me, that seems super, super interesting what's going to come of that and how some of those tools will get better. Um, but it's kind of like some of the stuff that Angelo and um, um, Brian were talking about last week that they've built into Gabby T, right? They 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 do the, was it Fleisch Kincaid reading score, check for errors and typos, um, you know, build me a glossary list of the most common used terms. Um, you know, all of that was pretty interesting, I thought. And I think what job boosters are going to be available and will companies roll them into a package where they can control them. So it's like, well, I know that they can use these tools and I know that they'll kind of stay within the guardrails that I'm comfortable with. So I I think, I think that's going to be really, really interesting to see how that um, moves forward. Now we we spoke very highly, Patrick, of at a high level of different things, but um, one thing that we didn't talk about is, did you see the news story about the fire at the Pentagon that was not a fire at the Pentagon? I did not. Ah, okay. So this was interesting. Someone using AI tools generated an image uh, and it looked like there was an explosion at the Pentagon. And then they put it out there as news. And of course, everyone knew it was misinformation, but still it was like widely distributed. Now that you say that, I did briefly hear about it, but I did not give it much stock. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? And I think like that's, and you know, everybody's, uh, we've talked a little bit about like deep fakes and um, I know Photoshop now has a new tool set or something that makes it super easy to just, you know, drop uh, like a cutout image, a transparent image of a person to another picture, you know, uh, very Forrest Gump style. Like in the day, that was pretty amazing to see Forrest Gump dropped in to a video of, you know, talking to Kennedy or in pictures um, you know, in the storyline, I can't remember mm-hmm. who they stuck them in, but I mean, now it sounds like anybody with Photoshop could be using AI to, mm-hmm. to do this. So I, I think that's a space we'll really have to be careful of because then suddenly video means nothing. It's not a thing anymore. Right. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. Um, I know there was a big push for like the pause of development of generative AI until they can kind of put some guardrails around it. I'm not sure where that landed or if anything has come of it, but it's interesting to see. It seems like at least some people are like thinking through long-term ramifications instead of just like how cool it is right now. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. I think there are some countries that have uh, been more aggressive. I know in the States here, we are calling for a pause and to understand the tech a little bit better. And I think some countries have uh, like prohibited use, you know, in, in, in government settings or whatever. They're really doing some things that they think are going to crack down on those privacy concerns, of course. So, I mean, it, it is it is hard, I would say, to contain. Like, it's the old saying, if you can't put the genie back in the bottle, once yeah, it's out, right. it's out. There's a, it, it's, I think it's limited in what you can limit, uh, which is, you know, I don't know if that's good, bad, right, or wrong, but it just kind of is. And I think we need to, to deal with it. Well, you know, I mean, we're talking about the arc of history here, right? I mean, uh, you know, we've seen the destruction of industries before due to progress, right? Like there's not a lot of wagons. You don't see a lot of wagons, horse-drawn wagons uh, down run, going down the street anymore. It's obviously a novelty that you see in Christmas markets, right, um, for carriage rides and such. But uh, in, innovation and technology is essentially a destructive process. And the trick is how do you limit the destruction to economies? How do you limit, you know... Uh, the, the, the conjecture it's replacing that, someone else it's it replacing is. something else and you have to deal it with is. that replacement and people right. who are set in certain ways or things that are set in certain ways yeah what do you do with that labor force that becomes underemployed or disemployed uh, uh because of this type of technology you know i mean there's i've seen some articles that have said hey like is the whole irs going to become unemployed because now you can just program ai to you know, scan through uh, returns and figure out where there's issues or concerns. And yeah, sure. I mean, something like that might happen. What's the likelihood of it? Probably not in the near term, but I, I mean, obviously there'll be tons of different applications. I mean, you've already seen it, right? In chatbots, I'm sure all of us have interacted with chatbots before and some are really good and some are meh, you know, <laughs> not that great. So maybe they'll all get better. Uh, so some of that frontline customer service stuff where people have simple and easy questions will be answered via AI. I mean, this will be interesting space. I, I have a feeling, Patrick, that we'll be doing follow-up uh, sessions on this. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of get to that time in the uh, podcast, Patrick, where we ask the million-dollar question about takeaways. And uh, I, what was what's your biggest takeaway on this topic? Yeah, Um I would say that I was pretty hesitant to like create an account with chat GPT and like mess around with it. Uh, but once I did, I found that it was pretty cool, pretty interesting. <clears throat> like we've talked about the way you write prompts is very important. Um, and it is, I'm very intentional about like what information I put in there. Um, but you can, you can put anything in there and you'll just be blown away by the responses that you get. So I encourage everyone to at least try it out, see how you might be able to make it work for you and your industry and your, in your career um, and really lean into it. I mean, like, like we talked about that research component to me sticks out as something that you can, you can get a lot better results than Google of like, if you ask a very pointed question, like who are the competitors of X, you'll get a lot better answer than if you type that in Google and you'll just get a whole bunch of things because it's kind of doing that thing we talked about, about connecting dots without you saying like, connect these dots. Like you're saying, look at translation companies that are similar to this translation company. And it's really making that connection for you. Yeah. I, I love that, Patrick. I think that 
I, I would piggyback on that as uh, my biggest takeaway is that, you know, what are, what are, what are the tool sets that are going to come out that are going to really help people in the research they're doing, whether they're creating content, trying to discover new markets, just really trying to do their job better. And I think if used with caution uh, and respect, the tool is going to be amazingly powerful. And those that, you know, sort of flout those rules, well, you know, like anything, it'll probably catch up with them at some point, right? I mean, that's the thing. I keep going back to the competitor um, research, but once I have those five competitors, maybe I'll go to their website instead and go look up the information I need from there. I won't necessarily keep prompting ChatGPT, like, tell me more about this company. I'll just go directly to their website because I know their competitor. I could also say, those five are wrong. Tell me five new ones, and it will come up with a new list. So um, it's really cool that you can u- and get that information at the, at the tip of your tongue and then really go... I use that as kind of like a jumping off point. It's not the end all be all yes. to use this. I think it's just, here's where I've started. Give me some information. And then I go do my own thing elsewhere. Yeah, that's perfect, Patrick. I think, I think again, that's using it with logic and respect and, and understanding how the tool can help you and, and how it can hurt you, right? I mean, um, so I, I think, I think there'll be in the media, you'll see lots of, uh, what we you know what's going to get reported is the misuse, right? The misuse of the tools. So you, we'll see it in media. You, you'll hear about it in corporate settings. Uh, it'll happen. Um, but again, like anything, um, that'll, that'll all be caught. People will be creating tools that will test, um, you know, how novel content is or, you know, was it generated and it, it'll all be apparent. Um, so it's right, over, overall it's positive i think so yeah I, I ask you is it positive or negative what do you, what do you i think it has the potential to be very positive or very negative it depends on how people use it um i will say too i know you mentioned grammarly as like another tool um i think like the premium version of grammarly has like a plagiarism checker in it so i think we'll see a lot of that come into play of like mm-hmm. i think plagiarism checkers are gonna get which is a little bit ironic to me that they'll probably also use generative use AI, AI behind that. <laughs> um, but I feel like we'll see an uptick in that to kind of have people just cover themselves and make sure that they're not uh, putting that self, putting themselves at any risk of uh, being sued for plagiarism. Well, we'll definitely have to keep an eye on this space and we'll definitely report back to it. Maybe one of these days soon we can get uh, a Florian on to talk about it as well from, uh, from Slater. It'd be fun to have him on. Uh, to chat about this, we'll also check back with Angelo and 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 Brian and see other tools are are um, coming along and progressing and working. So great. Well, for this episode of Translation Confidential, this is Peter and Patrick signing off. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>